0: You are listening to the Calford Catechism Podcast, where we seek to defend doctrine, dispel deception, and develop disciples. We hope you enjoy today's episode. In John 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What does Jesus mean when he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him? Today we dive into point number one of the five points of Calvinism, which is total depravity. Do we as sinful human beings have a free will? What does it mean that we are sinful human beings by nature? How bad are we? These are all questions and more that we will answer or seek to begin to answer in this episode. It's episode number seven, and just before I press play, Travis said that a lot of podcasters fall off the cliff at seven, so yeah. this is our last episode today. Um, <laughs> you I'm just wish. kidding. I'm just kidding. This you is not wish. our last episode. Uh, God willing, we have more to come because we're in a series of episodes right now on the doctrines of grace, Calvinism, Reformed theology, However you want to say it, uh, we are walking through the next five episodes, including this one. Um, we're going to walk through the points of Calvinism. And so today, we're going to dive into the point that is known as what? Total depravity or total inability, whichever way. Total depravity. Now, boom. You, uh, you, the listener, may have immediate assumptions about what that means. You may have immediate objections. You may have immediate... Uh, support for this doctrine, and you may have some misconceptions about this doctrine. And right. so we're going to tackle some of those. We're going to talk about what it is. Briefly, we're going to start this episode with where it came from. Uh, how did we get to uh, a, a doctrine that we've labeled and called total depravity? Where did that come from? Um, and uh, I'm going to let Travis actually dive into that really briefly in just a second. But we're going to start with our question of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Question of the day, Travis, is do you prefer do you prefer uh, college or NFL? Oh man, that's easy, NFL. Oh okay, I actually expected a different answer from you, to be honest.
1: Yeah, so that's actually really that's actually really controversial because so many people say like the whole college football, you know, because they don't really have like a like a motive. They're right. They're more pure because they're not getting paid. Right. So they play harder trying to right. get there. Right. But I like watching – Like I played college football, so I understand how they're not that – they're really not that great or professional. <laughs> but the NFL dudes, these, these guys, are. they're men amongst men hitting each other in the mouth, and I think that's fun to
0: watch. Well, and, and and some people say, well, they've already gotten paid, so they've gotten their money. But there are a lot of incentives in the NFL. You do well contract bonuses you get paid more yeah you get a couple extra million <laughs> for getting that extra sack like you got yep. you got 10 sacks and your contract says if you get 11 you get an extra 5 mil You're going to get that sack. Shoot. I'm going to do some dirty things to get to that quarterback (laughs) dog. (laughs) Um, Because of total depravity is why you would do some dirty (laughs) things to get to that. So that's a perfect segue into this. Uh, I I prefer NFL too, by the way. Um, And uh, if our mics sound a little different, a little louder today, we apologize. We're experimenting with two microphones instead of sharing one. Travis stinks a little bit, so I'm trying to get further away from him (laughs) today. took a bath last night. Last night. You should have taken one this morning. All right, so let's start diving in. Um, as I said, I'm going to let Travis uh, dive into the history of what got us to this point. Where did total the, the doctrine of and this label of total depravity come from?
1: Yeah. So if you Briefly, guys. Briefly, Travis, not in
0: our history like last time.
1: All right, uh, I got nothing. <laughs> so uh, if you guys missed last week's podcast, this is where I'm going to defer. You guys really need to go back and listen to the introduction to the doctrines of grace or what is Calvinism or whatever it is, however you guys want to phrase it, the very last episode, episode six, we dive deep into the history. And that's where you guys need to say, well, if you want more in depth, go there first, listen to this. It's going to make a lot more sense. But how we concluded last week was really with the emergence of the five points of Arminianism. Um, After... A massive protest of the uh, Armenian believers, if you will, of their of the, his supporters, Jacob Arminius. They created five points of Arminianism, and they brought it to the church and said, "This is what we believe." And at the Council or Synod of Dort, they they rejected it. Said, "No, that's not biblical. That's not true. Instead, we're going to come through with the five points of Calvinism." So, we, what we thought would be kind of fun and a good flow would be if we took the five points of Arminianism one by one in each episode and just briefly said what it was and then talked about what the first point of Calvinism and everyone subsequent to it was. So the first point of Arminianism, they called partial depravity. Interesting, huh? They're the one that started this whole depravity thing. (laughs) It was their fault. (coughs) Just kidding. So partial depravity is what they called it. And what that means, the definition of it, if you will, is They believe that man's mind, will, and emotions are only partially tainted by the fall of man back in Genesis 3, and that the human will was free completely, and that the human will was able to either accept or reject God. Pretty simple and straightforward, right? Well, the historical church and the Synod of Dort completely rejected that and said, no, we're totally depraved. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is where we get this idea in this term, total depravity, okay? So the heart of the question is, can a man, um, does a man have free will? Can, yeah. can a man call for help when he wants to be saved? Hmm. We've heard it preached so many times by pastors growing up. Is like, hey, God has thrown out the life preserver. You're drowning. He throws out the life preserver. All you need to do is grab it right? You're sick, take the medicine. All you need to do is cry out. Take the first step, right, and then you'll be saved. Initiate your own salvation, and boom, yeah, you'll be saved. That's what we've heard so many different times. Yeah. So really quickly, very simply and succinctly, what does total depravity mean? It means that sin impacts every part of man. It totally impacts Man's heart,
0: mind, and will. Yep. So there's a lot of different directions we can go. I want to be fair here. We don't, uh, we're not saying that Arminianism teaches that man can save himself. Right. They teach that man has free will and that man initiates salvation in the sense that a man or a woman would say, well, I want to be saved and then God saves them. Um, and Calvinism would teach the opposite, and we'll get into the details of that. Calvinism would say no, because of total depravity. That we'll explain and get into today. Because of total depravity, we cannot do that. We can't grab the life raft that's been thrown to us. And so, uh, to to take that illustration again, instead, and I believe I believe it was Piper who used this illustration. He said, God didn't throw you a life raft and you grab onto it. You were in the ocean, and God jumped into the ocean mm. and grabbed you and brought you onto the boat and resuscitated you back. To to life. And then you were saved. Um, And so, uh, and and that's, that is the glorious truth of salvation. So, um, yeah. So, and to jump into what he just said there
1: is to completely agree. Arminians, they don't reject sin. We don't want to paint this picture where you're a heretic and you're an unbeliever. If you believe these things, Arminians don't reject original sin Or really even the effects of sin in general, but they don't take it to its logical conclusion is what we're arguing. Right. And if man is totally depraved and cannot choose God, then how can a
0: dead man have faith and live? Right. Well, and and it's just interesting because we're, we're just using the language of Scripture here. When we say that we're dead in our sin... We're not, we didn't make that up, but that's not an illustration we came up with. That comes directly from Scripture. The first place that comes to mind is Ephesians 2. We're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. That is what. That is the word that God has used in His Word. And we're going to go through a lot of Scripture today. So I would, I would recommend, uh, if you haven't done before, get a pen and a notebook or on your phone or whatever. Jot down references. Um, jot down Scripture references and dive into these yourself. Go to the context of them because we won't always have time to pull that out. Make sure that you're not just taking our word for it. Uh, study the word for yourself um, and, and, and allow God to teach you from his word. So that would be a recommendation as we move through today. Um, so I, I want to kind of kick off our discussion into really explaining what is total depravity and what is it not with a quote that I found from Augustine or Augustine, yeah. if you want to. This is a really good quote, it's and I feel, good. Like, I feel like this guy had a sense of humor, um, but he <laughs> said this, "O oh Lord, everything good in me is due to you. We would all agree with that, right? Everything good in me is due to you. And then he followed that and he said, the rest is my fault. Mm. He said, oh Lord, everything good in me is due to you. The rest is my fault. That's really total depravity right there. It's saying, if I'm doing good is because of your grace, it's because I'm created in the image of God Mm. and your image, even though I'm totally depraved, and we'll get into this in just a moment, even though I'm totally depraved, it doesn't mean I'm no longer an image bearer of God. Mm. It just means that my mind, my will, um, my my heart has been totally affected by the fall of sin. Okay. Um, so I'll read that one more time just because I think it's so good. Oh, Lord, everything good in me is due to you. The rest is my fault. So, Travis, what does total depravity actually mean or what does it not mean? You take this where you want to take it right now.
1: No, yeah, that's good. So let's talk about the heart of the question real fast. Um the heart of the question of really the doctrines of grace which we talked about a little bit before why are we even talking about this how does god save mm. this is what this is why we're talking about this this is, this is why it's important can god be thwarted is the question can god be defeated in his attempts to save us this is the heart of the doctrines of grace okay mm. what does it mean uh, wh- and, and this is what we're trying to get at right here okay so, today's question that we're going to tackle on total depravity is, what is man's condition before salvation? Mm. Okay? Here, it, to break it down to make it as simple as I can, are we dead in our sins before salvation mm-hmm. or are we wounded? Mm. Are we completely dead, unable to do anything on our, by, by our own efforts because we're dead? Or are we just sick? And that's what we're trying to tackle here. So... What is total depravity? And I think what helps is to take a negative approach to that at first and to do what Kenny just said. What does it not mean? Mm -hmm. Well, what total depravity does not mean is that fallen man has lost the image of God within him. Mm -hmm. God's image within sinful man has not been erased, right? Yep. Yep. They can still do good
0: things. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a big misunderstanding is that when Calvinists teach we're totally depraved, that we're saying you can never do anything good, that when we quote uh, Isaiah and saying that our good deeds are filthy rags, that we're saying you can't do anything good, we are still image bearers of God. We, 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 we can do things that in and of themselves may be good works. Those good works will never save us, and by our nature, we are still totally depraved. We are still, um, we are still uh, completely affected by the fall of mankind uh, and sin. Boom, a hundred
1: percent. So sinful man can still do things, acting in the image of God. Yeah, but they are totally dead in their sins to spiritual things. Correct. Yeah. So another thing, total depravity does not mean is that man is as sinful as they could be. Right. This is really important. Man is inherently dead within themselves and cannot do anything to bring about salvation. But it does not mean that they are as wicked. As they could be. And that, my friends, is an amazing, gracious gift of God with him restraining men.
0: Somebody once said that total depravity means the entire absence of holiness, Mm. not the highest intensity of sin. Ooh, that's good. The entire absence of holiness and the ability to be holy, not the highest intensity of sin. So we are, in our nature, totally depraved. That does not necessarily mean that every man, woman, and child is going to go out and do the most evil thing they possibly could do. God, in His grace, restrains us from that. Um, But we are, in our nature, still totally depraved, the entire absence of holiness. So with that, total depravity
1: means, it goes back to what we talked about before, sin has impacted us. So much to the extent that we are completely, 100% unable in heart, word, will, deed, action, everything to get close and even be in the vicinity of God. Mm. Okay? Because if you haven't listened to part one and part two of the gospel episodes, he's holy. Mm. We can't be around him when we're completely dead in our trespasses and sins. Okay? So, can man do anything within himself with his condition to be saved? Or does God save man completely independent of man? Mm. What is the answer? And the scriptures are quite clear. And if this doesn't give you the answer, then I don't know what will. What will? Man is an enemy. Mm. Man is an enemy of God. He's an hater of God. He's not doing good. Nobody does good.
0: Yeah. This is really... Yeah. Weighty. We celebrate that often, right? When we quote Romans five eight, that that Christ died for his enemies. Ooh. That while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. And and what we're focusing on often there is is the fact that Christ died for us. We forget to focus on the fact that we were his enemies. That's what makes it so beautiful and so glorious. Um, and and that's so. This can seem like a really depressing episode, much like part one of the gospel, but I'm going to say it again. I think I said it then that you're not going to see what's amazing about grace. If you don't see what's so sinful in yourself, you're not going to see the beauty of the gospel. If you don't see the sinfulness of mankind, we have to be able to get through this. We have to be able to understand just how bad our condition is to see our need for salvation and then to see the glory and the beauty of our salvation as well. Amen. So, we're going to start
1: diving into some really, uh, really crazy, awesome topics here at this point and a lot of scripture. So, in order to kickstart it off, here's a question that we've heard a lot already and we're going to get, let's dive into it. Does man have a free will? Yes. Man, this is exciting. We both like lit up there, like, what? Yeah. So, this is controversial. Yep. Okay. Um, and I'm going to make a statement that. Some people may need to sit back and say, well, let me hear more. I need to think about that. But get this, free will, as defined by many Christians and evangelicals today, okay, we're going to have to define terms here, free will, as defined by many Christians today, is not biblical. Hmm. It's not biblical. It expresses the idea that God's hands are tied behind his back and that he is unable to sovereignly direct man. Or and or how about this free will in the the definition that many evangelicals give today because Kenny and I were having a conversation about this before
0: completely overlooks the nature of man. Yeah, yeah. Because what some people would say, and I actually used this argument at one point in my life, I would say, well, I believe God's sovereign, um, and, but that man has free will, and what God has done in His sovereignty is He's chosen to lay that aside and allow men to choose whether or not they want to be saved. Right, and this is why it's so important to start with total depravity, because if total depravity is true, then we are bound by our nature, that, that our nature is totally depraved. Our mind, our will, our heart is to, are totally depraved. And so if God has decided that even though he's sovereign, he's going to let us choose, you know what we're going to choose? We're going to choose our sin. Mm. You will choose your sin. Boom. Apart from God, you and I will choose our sin. That's just the reality. And and I, we could get into this really deeply, but even as a, we won't, we won't do this today. But but even as a believer in Christ, you still have the flesh. Right. In your flesh, Romans eight says, when you're living in the flesh, you will sin. When you're walking in the spirit, you will live to righteousness. So even as a Christian, when you're walking according to the flesh, you know what you're going to choose. You're going to choose your sin. And so before God has given you a new heart and regenerated you and, and put his spirit within you, you know what you're going to choose? Your sin, because you don't have any other nature in you at that point. You are still an image bearer of God, yes, mm-hmm. but you have been totally depraved by sin. So, so God, God, in his sovereignty, has not laid that aside and said, you choose, because if he had done that, you, would, you and I would choose our sin. We would never choose God.
1: So what Kenny is talking about here is really important, and we need to dive into it. It's called nature. Okay, what is the nature of man? What is man's condition before we're saved? Mm. Okay, the nature of man is what we're arguing here, and this is what we're really going to try and teach and explain, and not just talk about it. Yep, is sin. Yep. Okay. Uh, Psalm fifty-one, verse five says, "Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me." This mm. is David saying this here, meaning that from the moment of conception. We're born into this sin nature. Mm. And this is due to Genesis chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Back in, shoot, go read Genesis chapter 2 that says the, the, that, that God gives the very first law to Adam that says, if you ever eat of the fruit from this tree in the center of the garden, you will die.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. And that, that was the first ever law given. And he was like, uh, all right, 10-4, uh, no. Mm-hmm. And, and then he ate it. Yep. And then he consumed that fruit and then sin into the world. And from that moment on, all of man has been cursed from our original father, Adam. Yep. And we have all received the curse of sin and, and we're born into sin.
0: And therefore, we're born with the nature yep. of sin. Yep. And even in Genesis chapter 6, we get to fast forward to Noah and the flood Um In Genesis 6, 5, before the flood, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And listen to this. And that every intention of Mm. the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. Okay? Okay we quote that a lot and then we say well then the flood happened and then everything changed somehow but no after the flood when noah offered a sacrifice to the lord after the flood it says this in genesis 8:21 when the lord smelled the pleasing aroma the lord said in his heart i will never again curse the ground because of men and here it is here it is again he says for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth neither will I ever again strike down every every living creature as I have done. What the Lord's saying here is that the flood was about his judgment on sin. It wasn't his cleansing of sin from the earth. It was about his judgment on men and women for their sin. He's saying before and after the flood, the, the intentions and thoughts of men and women's hearts is only evil continually, always. That's our nature. God himself has declared that. Right. So this goes to
1: the literal heart of the matter. Yep. The literal heart of the matter is Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart, which is what we'll call it the mission control room and the mission control center of every single human being. Yep. It's, what, it's, it's, the, it's what controls our will, our desires, and our thought life. Okay? So the heart is deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says. And desperately wicked, who can understand it? It, it it's 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 unbelievably wicked and dark. Mm-hmm. That is the condition of our hearts. Yep. So, this is what we need to think about now. If this is our condition, all yep. right. If our condition is sick, death, horribleness, we're dead. This is just it, 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 we're painting a pretty bad picture here, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, turn to John eight. Let's make it a little bit worse. Okay, because this is, I'm not just doing it to paint a bad picture. I'm—I'm I'm, Just like the gospel, this is the bad news. In John 8, starting in verse 31, we're going to read a few verses here. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, okay? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, uh, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the Pharisees, uh, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Mm. This is so critical. Listen, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Mm. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Mm. So this is what we're trying to get at here, okay? Every single person was born into the world inherently evil and sinful. Mm -hmm. Totally dead in their trespasses and sins. Mm -hmm. Okay? And by nature, we are sinners. And whenever you sin, you're enslaved to sin. Mm -hmm. So that means we are slaves to sin. Mm -hmm. So this is pretty heavy stuff. So think about nature for a second. I want to give you an example. I've heard this from a couple different pastors, and I thought this was extremely helpful. Let's say you were to take a lion and put him in the middle of a room, okay? And you were to put a large pile of raw meat on one side of him and a large pile of carrots on the other. Which way is the lion going to go? What's he going to eat? What's he going to choose to eat?
0: The carrots. The carrots. He's, <laughs>
1: he's going to nibble. No. <laughs> Lions are awesome. So they're going to choose meat. And they're strong, so they want meat. So they're going to go over and they're going to gnaw and raw. And it's going to be amazing. All right? And they're going to demolish the meat. Well, Let's say you replace that uh, lion with a rabbit. Little bunny. Where is the bunny going to go? Is it going to go to the raw pile of meat? It's probably going to terrify it. It's gonna go. To the, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna, to it's gonna hop and sprint, if you will. <laughs> over to the carrots and nibble on those carrots. So, w- why is it that we know a- every single time those animals are going to choose the same things? Mm-hmm. It's, it's because of their nature. Mm-hmm. Okay? Do they have a choice? Yeah, they have a choice. But get this this is important. Their nature dictates their behavior. Mm-hmm. Their nature is going to dictate which way they go. Yeah. Uh, one, One's an omnivore, one's a, one's a carnivore, and one's going to say, well, this is what I, or, I'm sorry, a, a herbivore. One's a herbivore, one's a carnivore, and this is where I want to go. Mm-hmm. So let's tie it all together. Put man in the middle of a room and put God's grace on one side and the passions of his flesh and sin and, and worldly desires on the other side. Yeah. Pre-salvation man. Put him in the middle of a room and say, all right, you have free will. Yeah. What are you going to choose? Yeah. Ten out of ten times that man, because of his nature, is going to choose sin.
0: Yep. That makes sense yep. eleven out of ten times. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And 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 um to take it even a step further, uh, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but but uh scripture's clear that Satan blinds the mm-hmm. hearts and minds of men, and so um, e- e- the the illustration of placing a man in a room and seeing God's grace and seeing the kingdom of God versus seeing our sin, and which one is he going to choose? We're we're even blind to our sin. We don't we don't or we're blind to excuse me, we're blind to our sin, but we're also blind to the grace of God. We're blind to who God is and the the what what Christ has done. So logically, this is something we were talking about. Logically, you can have an unsaved person who understands the gospel logically. They they know what you said. Yeah. They know what, they, they understand what you are teaching them. and But Romans 1 says, they know the truth about God, but they suppress it. They reject it because they're not, they're not running to the grace of Jesus. They're running to their sin. By nature, they are like the rest of mankind, like you and I were before Christ. They are children of wrath, children of sin. They're fallen. They're going to go after their sin. Um, and so this is what we mean when we say total depravity. Right. So
1: free will, and, and this is how it all really ties into free will. So free will, as defined by many people today, as we talked about, it, it's not biblical. Okay. You can't, you don't have this choice in and of yourself within your nature to choose God's grace or uh, sin as if you had the ability. That's what we mean by it. You yeah. don't have the ability to choose grace over yep. sin. Yep. You're unable to do that if you're not saved. If you're saved, your nature has been changed. 2 Corinthians 5, you've been made into a new creature. You've been given a new heart, Ezekiel 36. Mm -hmm. Literally, the great doctor, God, took a dead man took out your heart of stone, put in a new living heart of flesh, made you alive, resurrected you, yep. right? And now you have a new nature, and you're able at this point to choose grace. Yep. He initiates salvation. But before that, you're completely enslaved to sin, okay? Man is dependent upon his nature at either point. What is man's nature pre-salvation? It's sin. Mm-hmm. Man is free. This, this, this is this. This is how we would define free will, because to a point we agree with free will, mm-hmm. to a, to a specific extent, right? Like, can you choose? Yeah. Are you are you limited by your nature? Are you only going to choose sin every single time if you're not saved? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But to an extent, we would agree with free will. But this is how we would define it. And Piper has really helped me understand this. John Piper, for those of you who don't know him. Uh, man is free within the confines of slavery. Hmm. That has just helped me so much because think about that for a second. People think whenever whenever somebody says the word slavery, it brings with it a lot of connotations and understandably so. Well, think about if you were to walk up to a slave in any era of time, even today, okay, because there are slaves today in the sex trade world, Mm -hmm. and go up to that slave and say, Hey, you're free. Are they gonna be like Excuse you? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that that, that that's offensive. To a certain extent, mm. to a certain extent, are they free to do specific things during the day? Yeah. Yeah, you know. I I reckon so. You can you can choose very simple things if I'm gonna to go to the bathroom right now or not go to the bathroom. We're not talking about that. But I'm talking about within the confines of slavery. Mm. You're free. Yeah. So yeah creatures nature will dictate its behavior the nature will feed the will and the will is enslaved to sin before salvation mm. that is the argument that we're bringing forward today when we're talking about total depravity yep and now we're going to dive into a couple more scriptures that really dive into what does it mean yeah like how is it like can 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 canny Kenny, can can man really not change his ways? Like, come on, like an old yeah. dog and new tricks. I know right. that I know that we're talking about he was dead in his sins and he was
0: bad, but can't he pull himself up by his bootstraps and just do better? Well, God asked that question to the people of Israel in the book of Jeremiah, mm. chapter 13, verse 23. God speaking to his people says this. Can the Ethiopian change his skin mm. or the leopard his spots?
1: Mm.
0: Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? God answers. He says, then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. If the leopard can one day just say, I'm going to change my spots and his spots change, then men and women can pick themselves up by their bootstraps and say, I'm going to do good today. I'm going I'm to not be sinful by my nature today. That's God speaking. If the leopard can change his spots, if you and I can change our skin, if we could do these things, then we certainly, God says, would be able to then change our nature. But we know the answer is that the leopard cannot change his spots. Neither can men on our own change our nature. We can't do it at all, matter of fact, um, because I think I think the danger here is even to get into saying, you know what, well, like we talked about last time, I'm going to work with God to change my nature. no, 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 no. Mm. we're dead. This is why it's important to not only know that we're depraved, but that we're dead. We can't do anything until God changes our nature. And then we walk in righteousness because he's given us his righteousness. He's given us a new heart. He's given us a new nature and ability to walk in good deeds. Right. So think about this for a second. Is,
1: let me ask you this, is repenting and believing in Christ
0: a good thing? Yes. Yes. I felt like that was a trick question.
1: (laughs) It wasn't. It is a good thing. (laughs) Romans 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? I'm starting in verse 9 for you guys who are following along. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, that means everybody, are are under sin. Everybody's under sin as it is written. Now, this is Paul writing and he starts to uh, form a doctrine from the totality of the scriptures. None is righteous. No, not one. Get this. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one
0: does good. Not even one. There's a progression there. Yes, um, there is. There's a progression there. So so uh, no one. Sorry, can I, can I see? Yeah. You've you got the scripture in front of you. I want to pull it out so I'm quoting it correctly. Um, where is it at here? So, Paul says, none is righteous, there's, there's our nature. We're not righteous. By nature, we are sinners. No, not one. Then he says, no one understands. No one sees the kingdom of God. So not only is our nature that we're dead in our sin, but we don't understand the gospel. We don't see the glory of Christ. And then no one seeks for God. So you can't just go, well, I know my nature is bad, but let me seek for God. Let me see if I can find a solution to this. You don't do that on your own. Instead, Paul says, you've turned aside. we become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So even that progression there that Paul is laying out for us, he is showing us that we are by nature we are sinners we're dead in our sins so we're not going to understand or see the gospel we're not going to seek after God we are going to choose our sin it can't get any clearer than that no it can't so this is where
1: a lot of people typically and I get it i, I I'm with you actually um have questions okay because there's there, there's a lot of different questions, but we we gotta we got understand one other one other verse because. We start talking about how, how do we understand?
0: Mm.
1: How do we understand this? How does how do unbelievers un- understand? This? How is it that people can be saved if we're dead? I just don't get it, guys. You're like you guys are saying that we're legit dead in our sins. How is it that people are going to be saved? Well, let's take it one step even worse to to, to complete this bad picture in First Corinthians uh, chapter one, verse eighteen. It says that the gospel is foolishness to unbelievers. Mm. They cannot understand it.
0: Mm.
1: Okay? Because they just think, uh, after they hear it, like Kenny said before, they intellectually get it. They're not dumb. They're they're, they're unbelievers. Some of them, they're brilliant. Geniuses, way smarter than me. Yep. But... Their, 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 re, their spiritual reasoning and their spiritual intellect has been completely and totally skewed. It's dead, and they cannot grasp the spiritual things of God. It literally says in uh, Corinthians 2.14 that the things of God is not able to be understood by them. Mm-hmm. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is huge. Mm. Like the the, uh, the the spiritual things of God intellectually, their, their understanding and their reasoning has been completely tainted and destroyed by sin. Mm. We're not saying that Kenny and I were talking about this before, we're not saying that their human reasoning has been destroyed. Yep. Not at all. Yep. If you put two scientists in a lab uh, or whatever field you want to pick and you say – and you give them just regular human data and they say, well, two plus two equals. They're both going to look at it and draw the logical conclusion four. all right. Well, that makes sense. But now you put them into a different lab where they're talking about and discerning spiritual things one being a believing scientist and the other an unbelieving scientist, and you put the same data in front of them, two plus two to the spiritual believer is now going to equal four still. They're like, yeah, there's the data. But the unbelieving scientist is going to say, oh, it, it could equal three, it could equal five, it could equal six in this case. right? It's, at that point, it's just gone. Yeah. The spiritual things of God cannot be understood. Hmm. So, So what... Is it that saves? Here's the
0: question. Kenny? Well, partially. Let me just uh, give a little shameless plug here that the next four episodes will really tell you what saves. <laughs> um, but but we've, yeah. got to, we've got to answer that question here. And, and, and we've got to see that it is God alone who saves. If, if this is true. If men and women are totally depraved in our, in our sin, unable to seek after God, unable to, to save ourselves, then we must conclude the only way we can be saved is God. Amen. That God is the author, initiator, finisher, and perfecter of salvation. We do not go to God and say, God, man, that's a really great offer of salvation. I think I'll take you up on it. We won't choose that until God is the one who initiates and regenerates our hearts. It's Ephesians 2 again. You're dead and your trespasses and sins following the course of this world. You just continue in your depravity. Verse 4, but. Amen. Not but. You decided one day I don't want to do that anymore. Boom. Not but. You know what? You You realized that you were really messed up, and so you tried to find some help. No, no, no. But, God, even when we were dead, what did he do? Made us alive. You were dead, and then you were made alive. God didn't come to you and say, hey, you're dead, I need you to wake up. You were dead, and now you are alive. Get because this. of God. Get this, guys. This is just so important. Uh, just
1: to give, I, I, I want to connect it real quick with an analogy before we start to wrap up and conclude. So, In law enforcement, I'll never forget this particular story, this event, where I I responded and I was the first one on scene to a suicide, okay? I know this is going to be heavy for a second, but please track with me here. It was a suicide where the wife found her husband, who just killed himself. So, obviously, she was unbelievably distraught, Hmm. and she called 911, and... I, I happened to be the first one on scene. I was right next to the neighborhood, right next to her house, and I showed up. She was outside of the house, just just wailing and just saying, He's in the garage. And I ran to the garage, okay? I'll never forget this moment in my life. And I hit the door in and I ran in, and there he was. So I went, I I started to I started to work on him. Um with everything inside of me, I wanted to bring him back. So I started doing CPR. I started doing everything that I could. It was completely fruitless. I mean, it, I knew in my heart, right when I saw him, he was gone. He was dead. And at that point, I was doing CPR on a dead body. Hmm. There, there's, and let me tell you something right now. There's no bringing back somebody who is dead. When you are dead, you are gone. There, there, there's not a, well, well, let's think about it and let's paint it in a different picture. I know it's heavy. I know these spiritual truths of total depravity may make you feel not great. It's because we're not great. Mm. It's because we are unworthy of such an amazing gift of grace. Okay? The, the, the crying and the weeping of that man's wife could not even bring him back. Nothing brought him back. He's gone now. No amount of work that I did on him worked. Is it. And that's what our spiritual condition is before salvation. We're dead in our sins. And this is why Romans 1.16 is the crux. It's everything. It's the life. That the gospel, the gospel is the power of God in salvation Key word here it is. Listen alone, mm. alone, nothing you do. You can't reason somebody in. You sit there, you can't argue s- uh, somebody into heaven. You can't sit there and say, Well, uh, you know, I'm gonna intellectually convince them in some sort of battle, they're dead. Mm-hmm. And if you don't humbly submit to this power and the sovereign work of God through the message of the gospel, yes, it's foolishness to them. But it pleases God through what's foolish to man to save man.
0: Mm-hmm. It's the gospel that saves. Yep. And I, so we're going to end in just a moment with John chapter eleven um, and the story of Lazarus. Just before that, I want I want to I want to speak of something practical just for a minute. Um, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you are still calling you're calling them to still repent and believe. Yes. So what we're not saying is man has no responsibility to repent and believe. Right. We absolutely do. Right. We have a responsibility and we are we are called to choose to repent and believe. Right. What we're saying is because of total depravity they will not until God works in their hearts. And God will work in their hearts. God will make them alive. And, and, and they, he will give them the gift of faith, he will regenerate them, and then they will see the gospel and they will believe. So that happens as we preach the gospel. Speak to them of their sin, speak to them of the holiness of God, and then speak to them of the glorious grace and salvation found in Jesus, and call them to repent and believe. Tell them to do that. Tell them to, to repent and believe in the gospel and trust God to do the work of salvation in their hearts. So um, when you hear all this, do not assume that when we go out, we just preach the gospel and we just assume that nobody's going to believe it because they're just dead in their sin and they just can't know. No, we believe God's going to do his work of salvation, that God will save people, that God will use the the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel and somehow in some amazing way that I don't fully understand, he uses us to preach the gospel. And then through the preaching of that gospel, he saves um, and so we're not we're not changing the way that we preach the gospel here. Mm, we're simply no. we're simply giving you the reality of sin, so that you can see the glorious truth of the gospel. That's a good word. And so let's end with this illustration. It's, and it's not an illustration; it's actually a true story. It gives that, some context here. Yes. Like, what's the story about? Yes. get us up to it. So, so John chapter eleven. There's this guy named Lazarus, Yeah. and uh, you may have heard of him. You may not have. And so for those who don't know the story, I'm going to give some details here. So he's a friend of Jesus. When yeah. Jesus was on earth, uh, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, not to be confused with Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is a different Mary. These, yeah. are, these are friends of Jesus. Good distinction. Lazarus gets sick, mm. and they call for Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, you've healed all these people. You can come and heal Lazarus too, and Jesus doesn't go. Mm. He chooses not to go. And he, he explains why he doesn't go. He says l- later on in the passage in John 11, it's because he wanted to display the power of God. But he doesn't go. And Lazarus dies. And Martha is upset, obviously. And he, she says, if you had been here, my brother wow. would not have died. Wow, My brother would not have died. But now he's dead, Jesus. What can you do? Mm. Jesus, what can you do? If so, so So we're going to make a lot of spiritual connections here to our salvation. So... We go, we go men. well, if, if we're not just sick and we can't just one day choose God and, and we're dead in our sin, what, what in, how can anybody be saved? Mm. God, what can you do now that people are dead? Martha says, what can you do now that he's dead? And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha goes, Jesus, I know that on the last day he'll rise again. I know that in the end he'll rise. And Jesus says something very important here. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus says, "I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead, just as he doesn't. He doesn't say this directly, but we see the implication very clearly here. Just as I am the one who raise, ra- raises people spiritually from the dead, mm. now Jesus says." Even though you die, you'll live if you believe, okay? But then what does he do to Lazarus? He doesn't walk up to the grave and say, Lazarus, do you believe that I can raise you from the dead? Mm. He doesn't walk up to the grave and go, Lazarus, I need you to decide that you don't want to be dead anymore. Yes. What does he do? I'll tell you exactly what he does. Tell me. Let's read it. (laughs) uh, Lazarus. All right, so John 11.
1: We're going to start in verse 38 here, okay? This is amazing. So we there can you just provided so much context, okay? So this is where we're at the story now. Then Jesus, verse 38, deeply moved again. We just read how Jesus wept. Hmm. Oh man. Jesus deeply moved because by the way, what that means is that he he saw the effects of sin. Hmm. He saw the impact and the effects of sin. And it moved him to the point of just this is not how I originally created the world. Hmm. Mm-hmm. and it just, just it just moved him and, and 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 oh man he came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it verse 39 jesus said take away the stone
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I, like what i mean this is just i mean talk about controversial go to a funeral that that it, i mean it it, been, it it had been days mm-hmm. and he's going up and said hey dig up the dead body basically mm-hmm. <laughs> Martha just, just imagine, just her, uh, just astonished by this. The sister of the dead man said to him, "Lord, by this time there would be an odor. For he has been dead for for four days. What? This is like this is no."
0: My favorite translation is the KJV, which says, "Lord, he stinketh. He stinketh. This is wrong. He's going to smell bad, yo." Know? And Jesus said to her, "Did I not
1: tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God?" Like. You're going to see the glory of the living God right now if you just believe and have faith. Look what they did. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, "Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Get this. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. They he wanted everybody to know and understand that he was the Christ, the Messiah." And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Here it is, Lazarus, come out, he said.
0: The man who had died came out. Do you know what Lazarus did not do in that moment? Tell me what he did not do. Lazarus did not go, Oh, that's the voice of Jesus. Let me decide if I want to be alive or not.
1: So he did not say that. he said in that moment, he You have to understand the words of Jesus Christ. This was not an optional statement. This was not a, hey, if you want to come, will you decide at this moment? It was a command for the dead to come alive. And Lazarus, he he didn't say, well, you know what? I'm going to, I think I'm going to stay dead. No, he didn't have a choice. He, the the dead obey Christ almighty. Okay. And, And Lazarus, it says right here, the dead man came out. Are you for real? The man who died came alive. He came out, his hands and feet bound with linen uh, strips, and his face unwrapped, uh, wrapped with a cloth. And I want Kenny to speak into this. Jesus said to them,
0: Unbind him and let him go. We know that Lazarus was bound with cloths and all of these grave clothes that he was restricted; that he couldn't walk. He wasn't. He wasn't really, in, in one sense, free in that moment. And so, you know what they told him. The, you know what Jesus told them to do is unbind him and let him go. Amen. I believe that actually happened, but I also believe that points to the spiritual reality that when God awakens us, He gives us a new heart and He unbinds us from the chains of sin. Yes, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are now free because the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Christ has set us free we can now walk in newness of life Amen. I was a part of a, a an Easter production uh, called Jesus behold the man and we did the scene of Lazarus in this production and Lazarus was tied up with these clothes and everybody who played Lazarus he kind of had to like he was he was literally bound his feet were bound he kind of had to hop out of the grave <laughs> until until they unbound him right I, and, and I picture I picture just that moment of salvation when you're just kind of hopping out of the grave and you realize now you you've been set free, that the chains have been fallen off and you can walk. You can walk step by step with your Savior in newness of life. And let me tell you something, as glorious as that truth is, it will not be so beautiful if you don't understand just how bad mm. and depraved you really are. Wow. I, I said in the last episode, and I, and I want to I end with this thought because we're, we're, we're late, and I'm always harping on Travis for that. Um, <laughs> of course, but, it's my fault. <laughs> but I said last time, it is, it is these doctrines that have caused me to worship more deeply. Right. Has caused me to see just how amazing grace actually is. That God... Even though I was dead, and I was his enemy, and I was running away from him, and by my nature I was choosing everything but God, even still, when I was his enemy, Christ died for me, and he is called me. He has. He said, Kenny, come forth. Amen. He awakened my dead heart Amen. and gave me a new heart and has broken the chains of sin that bound me. And now I can walk in fellowship with my Savior. And even now, I only see as in a mirror dimly because there's coming a day when not only will I be forgiven of my sin and saved from the power of sin, but we will all be saved from the presence of sin that he's going to one day rid the earth of evil and will be face to face with. Wow. And what a day that will be. That is such
1: an amazing word. I really hope that this clears up a another common conundrum, if you will, that people think about when they're considering Calvinism and the doctrines of grace, the whole concept of, you know, like they read the Bible and they're like, well, it says nobody seeks after God. Hmm. Well, I, I am. Actually, I, I would argue right now that Kenny and I are seeking after God right now. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible says nobody seeks after God. Well, how do you reconcile that truth? Hmm. Well, it's, well, uh, this really clearly seen here uh, in the in, in this story in John eleven that th- that's talking about pre salvation that before you're saved nobody seeks after God no not one you're completely dead in your sins like we've talked about right mm-hmm. but it's it's when God initiates salvation when He changes your heart when He saves you when He makes you alive like He did Lazarus you're going to come out of that cave
0: mm-hmm.
1: you are going to. Run out, like a song that we sing. I mean, when he calls your name, you're going to run out of that cave. You are going to sprint out. You are going to, at that point, seek God. Yep. But get this. It's because of 1 John 4.10. It's not that we have loved God. We didn't love God first. But that he loved us and gave his son as the atonement, propitiation, sacrifice for our sins. Yep. So that is the point. He first loved us. He changed our hearts. And at that moment of conversion, when we were changed, born again and saved, we then and now seek after God. And we do fail. We do stumble. We do sin. But wow, the great,
0: amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Yep. So that concludes this this episode. And we're always open for questions and emails. Um, So thankful for these truths. These are not just words on a page for us. Uh, this is life and, and peace and hope. And so um, we encourage you to reach out to our email address if you have questions. We encourage you to to share this episode, to to give us a rating and review so more people get to see this episode. Um, but but most importantly, we pray that God has used this word um, to speak truth and life to you today through his word. Um, and so without further ado, this has been the Calvary for Catechism. I'm Kenny, and this is... I want to start being referred to
1: as Travy Lee. Travy Lee. It's kind of like Jet Lee, Li, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. it's like Travy Lee. And has anybody ever told you that you look like like the Ken doll, like
0: Ken and Barbie? So that's it for today's episode. I'll you one
1: question. Has anybody ever told you look like the Ken we doll? We hope from that, Ken that you come Marby. back.
0: We hope that you come back to the <laughs> Caliphate Catechism. <laughs> Signing true. off, y'all.